Live from Dr. Henry Armitage Memorial High School Levy Room, it's episode 118 of the Horror Pod Class. My name is Tyler, and I run Signal Horizon, a magazine dedicated to exploring genre fiction in and out of your classrooms. And I am Oren Gray, who is just kind of a weirdo at large. <laughs> weirdo at large, and way cooler than I ever would be as a result. But tonight on the Horror Podcast, we're going to spend some time talking about what we've been watching, what we've been reading. We will help you find some free genre content on the internet. And finally, we are going to spend the remainder of the episode exploring Waterworld 2, also known as Split Second from 1992. But before we get there, Oren... What have you been reading, watching, working on? What uh, What's um, new at Castle Grey? So I just watched uh, two movies um, that were like really early films by Alex de la Iglesias, or Galicia, which is the guy who made uh, 30 Coins, which is on oh, yeah, right great. now that everybody's mm-hmm. yeah, into. Um, I had never seen practically any of his films, so um, I got for review from Severin uh, 4K discs of Day of the Beast and Pretty to Durango. So I watched those back to back, which was yeah. maybe a mistake watching them back to back. Too much? Did you enjoy little, them? Maybe it was a little too much. Uh, I, I enjoyed Day of the Beast. It was really good. Pretty to Durango had some pacing problems, but I mean, there was some really good stuff in it. Like it's got a really young uh, Javier Bardem in it. Oh, cool. Um, and he's just completely bonkers in it. Um, and. Uh, you know, all the, all the performances in it are pretty good, and um, it's got uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins in it, just kind of being Screaming Jay Hawkins, which is great. Well, it sounds like there's enough to uh, <laughs> to, to make watching yeah. uh, certainly worthwhile. Yeah, they were fun. They were fun. Very good. Uh, and they're out uh, right now from Severin, or they will be soon? I think they will be soon, I believe. Um, okay. I think they're, they're going to come out like toward the end of the month. But Very good. Uh, anything else going on in your neck of the woods? Uh, not a ton. I'm still reading my way through, uh, the hollow ones, the new Chuck Hogan, Campbell Toro thing. Oh, okay. So I'm still making my way through that. So there'll be a review of that on signal whenever I finally finish it. Wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. That's, you know, not to talk shop at the beginning, but, uh, I wish we could review more books, you know, like, uh, I think reading is super important as an English teacher. Like that's an easy sell for me, but mm-hmm. it compared to a television show or a movie, it just takes so much more time, you know? Yeah, like I've been reading this one like a chapter a day, basically for the entire month. Yeah. And it's a pretty fast read. So I'm almost through it, but still that's like, you know, 18 days or whatever. Right. And you know, I watched two movies yesterday. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and it is just like, yeah, I could kill an hour by reading, which is absolutely true. But, you know, at best you're looking at, at least for me, I'm not the fastest reader in the world. I'm certainly not the slowest. But you're looking like one a month maybe? I don't know. Right, yeah. So, yeah, it is what it is. Well, uh, I know you know a little bit about South by Southwest. I don't want to step on you. Uh, We're not leaving anything off of your uh, what you're watching or excited about list, are we? Nope, nope. Okay. Because over the span of 
probably in the next week or so, uh, our podcast lot audience is going to get a lot of, certainly our reading audience of Signal Horizon is going to be bombarded by it, but uh, we have our South by Southwest coverage, and I would tell you it is uh, massive. We're going to end up covering something like 15 movies, a half a dozen different television shows, but this is the way an online uh, festival should function. I just think that technology-wise, it's super interesting. We've watched some of the tech stuff in class because I think it's been worthwhile and and really valuable, you know. And uh, so many, so many great movies. So a uh, couple I want to highlight. I think Tracy Palmer, who's our television editor, is going to come on an episode sometime next week, and we're just gonna we're just gonna talk about South by Southwest. So. <laughs> Stay, stay tuned if you want more of that. But I'll tell you what I've really enjoyed so far. Uh, number one, premiering tonight. So I can't say too much about it because I actually I think it it started eight minutes ago. But our good buddy Philip Gelot has a new movie called The Spine of Night, which is rotoscoped Masters of the Universe meets heavy metal. It is yeah. fantastic. If anyone remembers... Uh... Ralph Bakshi's Fire and Ice. It's that same kind of art, definitely. Yeah, same kind of art. And I also think uh, it's just incredibly brave to to tell this big, oh, epic, yeah. it, you know, sword and sorcery story of using this very specific style. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's definitely one to check out. And uh, the second is a movie called The Sound of Violence, which... Uh, will probably end up being my festival favorite. And uh, the long story short is a uh, like a, an audio student, right? She's studying audio mixing or something like that in college. And she puts together this, this um, series of audio compilations, mostly because she spent the better part of her youth uh, as, you know, somebody that was hearing, hearing impaired. So she has realized... Uh, to her, when violent things happen, she can not only hear them now that she has her hearing, but also she can visualize them and feel them. So it becomes this kind of infinite feedback loop. And mm-hmm. uh, it's it is fantastic. It features fantastic performances. It's got a couple of really gnarly, um, like gruesome scenes in it so yeah it was a ton of fun uh i highly recommend it i don't think it's got a release date yet but uh it's super worth it so and the last thing in the vein of uh trying to put the smarter twist on what we were talking about we spent all of the last month talking about folk horror and there is a fantastic documentary coming out um from Kirla Janice, and I'm totally butchering her name, but she is one of the the founders of um, oh, a couple of those classes where they really go in depth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, of mm-hmm. looking at uh, I don't know the power and the messaging of horror films. So it's it's Miskatonic University, if if anybody's ever caught any of that. But this is all about folk horror, and its title is Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. A History of Folk Horror. Yeah, it looks uh, super cool. Very cool. And uh, the the one term I have read from a myriad of different reviews is uh, exhaustive. And <laughs> it's like three hours and 40 minutes. So, nice. oh, damn. Yeah, yeah. It, it covers everything. And that in fact, sweet. 
uh, you know, like all the old school stuff that we covered last month, right? The blood on Satan's claw gets a pretty sizable chunk of that. Mm-hmm. But then she ties it into kind of modern um, folk horror. So we get uh, The Witch, uh, a little bit of The Lighthouse and kind of the reference to that. Uh, and it, it also goes into other people's folk horror. So it's not just British folk horror, but there's a big chunk that focuses on Asian folk horror. Mm-hmm. And uh, I texted you in the Slack. Yeah. They have uh, no Roy, like yeah. a whole thing about it. And I was like, well, yes, who? as they should. Yeah. But, but I guess that's a reoccurring trope in um, Asian folk horror yeah. folklore is the sunken city, right? Is the, the city that was drowned and mm-hmm. now lots of bad shit is happening as a result of it. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I found it awesome. Also, uh, that's how the zombie outbreak starts in, World War Z. So it's huh. like bringing all these wonderful parts <laughs> of my, my, you know, loves of horror together in this one film. So nice. And the last thing is a non South by Southwest thing. Sorry. My, what are we watching list is massive. Cause that's all I've done. So, uh, this is, uh, a new film that has Barbara Crampton in it. It's definitely like Nordic folk horror and it's called sacrifice. And, uh, I think is just really subtle, really well done. It's out right now on VOD and uh, everybody should check it out. Really fun, really creepy. I would not say overly um, like it's not doing anything different because mm-hmm. you can kind of see the twist coming a billion miles away, but it kind of is tongue in cheek with all of that, which makes right. it, uh, it makes it kind of like it's winking at you as opposed to trying to pull one, you know, pull one over on you. So yeah, check yeah. out sacrifice too. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it. Uh, and that's just like a third of the movies I've actually watched. So you got I'm, me beat. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very tired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've just been working. Like I, haven't, I, I watched a bunch yesterday because I had to review them. But like I have not watched much recently, which I am bummed about. I want to get back to watching more stuff. Soon, yeah, but your your numbers were great. You know, at the start yeah. of the year, you were kicking ass and taking names. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, they're not terrible. Like, I'm not back to 2020 numbers, but <laughs> yeah, you're you're still holding your own. Yeah. Well, before we get to our um, dark corners of the web tonight, I did want to mention if you want to see me in person, win some awesome prizes, and uh, come be around other people. If you are vaccinated or you feel safe enough to go out, we would love to see you on Friday, April 9th at 7 o'clock. Deep Cuts Horror Trivia is making our triumphant return. I don't know why it would be triumphant, but let's say we are. Uh, At the Big Rip Brewing Company in their um, newly designed party room. So I would love to see everybody there. Love to give out some free booze, uh, some free movies, whatever else we got. That's just been piling up for a year. You know, like I've just been waiting to give this shit out. So yeah, come uh, register starting at 630 and the game starts promptly at 7. But hopefully uh, we'll see at least some horror pod class folks there. Would love, uh, yeah, come and say hi. What what day is that again? It is April 9th. It's a Friday night. Okay. And uh, I, I did it because it is... Two weeks and four days after my last uh, vaccination, right? <laughs> so it's like, okay, <laughs> I feel like I'm as, you know, protected as I'm ever mm. going to be. So 
let's go spend it uh, with some friends and uh, answer some of my shitty trivia questions and drink the not shitty but amazing uh, beer that they have there at uh, the Big Rip. So all your all your five G nanites ought to be fully operational by then. So yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe we can get. Uh, is it Bill Gates or who? Who is it? Is it Bill Gates? Maybe we know. can get him to to Skype in. I mean, after yeah. all, he's he's in our bodies already. Or whatever right? it is. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. <laughs> now, obviously, uh, we are teasing. Go get yourself vaccinated, please. <laughs> yeah, we're that- just turns you into an alligator, and that's awesome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you might show up uh, on the horror pod class as a movie monster then. Yeah. We all want that. So, Uh, yeah, it's my dream. So uh, our dark corner of the web this week comes from Nadia Bulkin and our good friends at uh, the Outer Dark. She was on an episode just a week or two ago. And uh, not only is she a a previous guest here at uh, the horror podcast, she recommended a movie that I absolutely loved, um, which was the Dark Song or a Dark Song. I always a Dark Song, yeah, yeah. Uh, tremendous film. We love Nadia Bolkin. Uh, you have to check out her writing, which I think is fantastic. But anytime that we can give a shout out to the folks at the Outer Dark, which I mean, frankly, they love weird shit as much as we do. So. We we need all of our weird friends to come together and support one another when we can. So check out uh, the Outer Dark podcast. Yeah. And we'll stick a link in there. Orange showed up a few weeks ago, yeah? Yeah, yep. What I, I, I missed that episode. What did you talk about? Um, I actually did one of the quarantine readings, like what we were linking to. So I read um, a story that I wrote. I forget which one. Um <laughs> It, it probably involved a classic movie monster. Maybe. It probably did. I think I read the All Night Horror Show, I think. Okay. But I'm not positive. I think that you read that one at uh, the actual last yeah, time. Yeah, I did. And so it may not have. It may be what I'm thinking of. And I don't remember. But, yeah. It's, a, it's an excellent uh, <laughs> short story. So, hey. I'd read that shit all the time, too. <laughs> My family would probably be sick of it. So... <laughs> Check it out. Uh, that is the Outer Dark Symposium, the Nadia Bulkin episode, and it is on the This Is Horror um, podcast network. So, all right. Uh, before we get to tonight's question, though, you know something we haven't done in a while? Oh, good. Yes, I can be bad at this again. Awesome. Here it is. All right. Let's. Okay. Oh, shit. Check this out. Um, this is, I pulled out randomly, the actual category names. Oh, holy crap. Yeah. What, so they've been, so they've, now we know what they are, theoretically. So I will tell you the category, and then I will read you the clue. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. If you get more than half, uh, you win a really valuable prize, which is to be decided later. All right? <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got nothing. I got nothing. All right. So the purple category that were bats, uh-huh. uh, that would be our monster category. Sure. Apparently, uh, I mean, I like bats and also monsters, so sure, right. why not? I mean, theoretically, vampires could turn into bats. I mean, I yeah, yeah, I feel like that's like effectually topical, but not really. But anyways, <laughs> in the 1992 movie Army of Darkness, the incantation 
Ash Has Trouble Reciting Properly was a reference to what other classic sci-fi film? If the Earth Stood Still. Very good. And for bonus points that are worth even less than the nothing we're playing for, do you remember what the incantation is? Klaatu Barada Nikto. Ah, well done. Yeah. Or necktie, yeah. <laughs> as the movie does. Yeah, I'm a little yeah. bummed. I'm a little bummed that it was a, a monster question from 1992, and it wasn't the movie we're about to talk about. That's true. <laughs> that would have been some shit. But it would also kind of explain why uh, I was not overly familiar with Split Second before you know spending the last two weeks kind of researching the shit out of it. So yeah, all right. Um, Army of Darkness probably stole all its thunder. You know. Yeah. Okay, so this is the eyeball category, and the eyeball category stands for gore or disturbing. Sure, that that one, sure. Yeah, vaguely, I get it. Okay, how many members does the criminal gang have in The Last House on the left, the original 1972 version? Four? I've never actually seen it. Um... I think I have, uh, and I've seen the remake too. Four is correct, by the way. Um, I've seen ju- clips of, of it, but I've never actually seen the whole movie. So Yeah, there are so many of those movies that I'm like, I know I've seen parts of it, and it's probably yeah. just from a clip from something else. That's how I definitely feel about it. Uh, it's also one of those movies that I will probably never watch because I don't love the rape-revenge subgenre. Yeah. Um and I think uh, enough people have said that movie is um, not wonderful when it comes to some of that. That I, yeah, I, I, I will yeah. probably just leave that on the trivia pursuit card and, and not revisit. <laughs> okay, purple category, which is the brain category, and this one makes total sense. I think it is psychological horror. Okay. What is the color of the lanterns lit at the houses of the invitation uh, that members in the invitation see? Huh. That was weird wording, red. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, that movie's not all that well known. That's a hard question. Yeah. That's... You know? I love it. It's one of my probably top ten, but yeah. that is correct. Yeah. Not to mention, totally fucking ruined the ending of that movie. Right? <laughs> Trivia Pursuit, what are you doing? Yeah, spoiler, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, Trivia Pursuit. Come on. Jeez. Jeez. Okay. Moving on to the pentagram category, which is orange and means paranormal. Okay. Uh, The final scene in Carrie, the 1976 version, is revealed to be the dream of what character? Oh, if they want a name, I'm screwed. Yeah. Yeah, this one's fucking hard, dude. I got nothing. I don't know the names of anyone from Carrie except for Carrie. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, you know at least Carrie and Mom, right? I mean, Mom mom has a name, I'm sure. I just don't know what it is. Yeah. uh, Sissy SpaceX Mom. I I got that. Yeah. Um, uh, it is Sue Snell. It's the other girl. I, but right. I don't know her name. So yeah. John, John Travolta's girlfriend, right? right. Whatever. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I got to tell you so far, you're four out of five. That's not bad. Yeah, That's not bad. Good. That's good. good. All right. The last category is green. Uh, it is a globe and it stands for international worm. All right. Here we go. What is the nickname of the hacker assisting the police investigation in Suicide Club, the 2001 movie? Um, I have no idea. I actually have that on my shelf, so I haven't watched it yet. So, uh, the name of the nickname, or the nickname of the hacker, is the Bat. Sweet. So, 
Yeah. All right. So uh, four out of six ain't bad. That yeah. wins. Um, that wins the no prize. We, we yeah. yeah. Uh, we could do it like uh, the NPR game shows, and I'm like, I will record your <laughs> new message for your answering machine thing on your phone. So yeah, it's welcome. Like I want a no prize like Marvel used to give out, where you just got an envelope that was empty. Oh, even yeah. better. Yeah. I'll fuck it. I'll fucking write your name on it. Man. I'll personalize <laughs> that shit. Love it. Next time, next time I see you, you're you're getting an empty envelope. Empty envelope, sweet. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of empty envelopes, there are not. There's not a single empty envelope in this movie we're talking about tonight. But I got no other segue. So there's a heart in a box. That's true. All right. That's not empty or an envelope, but you know, it gets mailed to somebody. Yeah. Speaking of presents, nobody wants. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Let's turn uh, to today's essential question, which is, how does split second handle climate change? And what role does climate uh, does the climate play in creating this more uh, this movie's horror? So I'm going to play the trailer and then uh, read the synopsis. So here we go. In the heart of darkness in the soul of madness a cop is out of control you ready to die paranoid people with guns are a menace All right, so <laughs> I don't I don't know if you had any audios with that. Uh, I, I got I got like chunks of audio. Yeah. So yeah. Mm. Joe Blow, get your trailers together. Uh, yeah. But uh, here is what the Internet Movie Database has to say uh, about the description and synopsis of this movie. In a flooded future, London, Detective Harley Stone hunts a serial killer who murdered his partner and has haunted him ever since. He soon discovers what he is hunting might not be human at all. So the only advice I gave to you when you were like, hey, should I pick something? I was like, yeah, pick something from the 90s we haven't talked about. And this was the first the first movie you mentioned. So tell me, why does Oren Gray love Split Second so much? Um, so I, this was one I watched uh, when I was you know young and we had 
I, the only movies I could watch were whatever was at the video store, like kind of a thing. Um, and so this was a favorite of mine from the video store um, back then because I really like Rutger Hauer. <laughs> yeah, like that you you notice that it's the like the last comment the film has. It's like the rest of this might be a hot mess, but it's got Rucker Hauer. You know, yeah, it's um, but no, it's uh, it's actually surprisingly pretty good. Um, but I hadn't seen it in a long time, and I had recently gotten the Blu-ray. So when you said something from the '90s, I was like, "Ooh, we should watch this," and that that'll give me an excuse to watch the Blu-ray because I hadn't watched it yet since I yeah. got it. So basically, it was that. It was uh, you know. Here's, here's, it, a way to, here's a way to kick me into watching something I just bought not too long yeah. ago. Yeah, I, I dig it. Uh, I like it a lot. And we'll we'll kind of get to that DVD release because I think that's uh, there's an interesting connection to what we're doing at Signal Horizon too. So uh, this is what I will say. It captured for me this kind of perfect encapsulation of late 80s, early 90s, right? Oh, yeah. it's, it, it's got um, a dystopian world that is full of like I, I've hollowed out dome shapes and like indistinguishable pollution and yep. uh you know like essentially so this movie takes place in 2008 and you know that's like 13 years later than where we're at now right. and like i think our world probably looks more like 1992 than it does you know whatever we're getting here uh I, I did think, uh, to get back to that essential question before we abandon it completely, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I like, it offers a real discussion about global warming, albeit it, it all happens in the background, right? right. Like it all, it, it all happens via news reports and, um, the title crawl or the title card that we'll talk about in just a second. But like, I, I, I don't know, like at some point the news cast that we hear in the background, says like the United States has once again blocked an international global warming policy or whatever. Yep. And it's like, dude, that's literally, only... yeah. That's one of the notes I jotted down was like, Oh, they got us. They fucking got us. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like unabashedly, you know, like uh, the, the only thing that would have made this better would be maybe watching it um, during the, the Trump administration when, you right. know, like we actually had pulled out of the, you right. know, Paris climate talks and, and that kind of stuff. So like it doesn't, d despite it being entirely gratuitous, you could make this movie without all of the, the water, you know, you could yeah. uh, like, despite it being a really added and gratuitous element. Like, I, I feel like they were at least kind of real with it. You know, yeah. uh, one thing I found really fascinating is I've watched a bunch of these like nineties dystopian future movies, um, fairly recently within the last few years, I'm really fascinated by how soon they expected the world to go to shit. Yeah. Like this was, this was set 16 years from when it came out. Right. Like they expected the world to be partly flooded and shitty within 16 years. Like there's just, there's like, we used to make dystopias. We would set them like a hundred years in the future or like 50 minimum years in the future. Right. But like in the nineties, we were making dystopias and setting them like ten years in the future. Yeah. As it was like in like ten years, everything's going to be shit. Yeah. Well, and, and wow, that's that's rough, you guys. <laughs> yeah, and, and very brave, right? Like, uh, right. so nineteen ninety two to two thousand eight would be uh, like sixteen years, right? 16 so years, yeah. 
when we create our own dystopic uh, film, uh, then you can, uh, what, base it 16 years from now? And I don't think that looks any different than where we're at right now. So, yeah, I think um, it it is what it is. And I, Mm. I enjoy all of the water scenes. I think it... You know, it it solves some of the the set issues and everything else. So, yeah, you know. I mean, one of one of the great things about this movie is that it didn't, like you said, it did not need to be set in the future. There's no particular reason for it. Like right. the plot does not rely on it in any way. Um, yeah. Well, and oh, we'll it, put. But it like distinguishes it, right? Like, I can always remember this one because it's set in the brainy flooded future. So I'm like, Oh, it's that one. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think maybe perhaps the title card does a better job of describing all of this. Right. So the, the title card is London 2008 after 40 days and nights of torrential rain, the city is largely submerged below water, a result of the devastating effects of continued global warming. The warnings ignored for decades have now resulted in undreamed of levels of pollution where day has become almost endless night. The future has never looked more dangerous. It, uh, <laughs> so the 40 days and 40 nights thing, right? Is your first inclination there is some pretty significant and heavy-handed biblical illusion here, right? It seems like it, though. I don't know to what end, really. <laughs> yeah, so I've read like stuff on the peripheral that there is uh, like rivers flooding generally uh, are used quite a bit as a, a rhetorical device in the Bible generally. But, um, you know, the, the the big reason why they're all underwater is because the, the Thames, right? The Thames? Thames? I think I'm saying yes. the Thames. Um, has completely overrun its banks, right? And right. and everything is this, this big chaos. Uh, not to mention our monster at the end, right? Like, uh, really, I think one of the highlights of this film are how the two male leads get along together, you know? And uh, somebody says to... How, um, so somebody says to Rutger Howard, like, I don't think it, I don't think it thinks it's Satan. I think it is Satan. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Rutger Howard says, uh, like that I'm going to kick Satan's ass or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just great. So I think that they're, uh, that relationship is really important. And I think, um, you know. Yeah is kind of an indication that uh, there's a lot there's a lot to this movie and it's really fun and I think it kind of riffs off of the buddy cop film oh yeah yeah like I, I feel like um, one of the reasons I really like Gregor Howard is that pretty much always in movies that he's in he he gets a role that would normally go like to like it would it would it gets the kind of role that would be this like really macho tough guy right in most things and he plays it with some kind of weirdly unexpected like that's the word i'm looking for like fragility or, oh, or okay yeah know, whatever like like there's there's definitely like he's not just your average maverick cop character, right? Like if, if Clint Eastwood or whoever had played the same character would be played completely differently. Um, and so like 
there's that element, but also like just the whole element of the two characters interacting. It's it's this very cliched buddy cop thing where like he's the maverick cop who doesn't play by the rules, and the other guy's the very straight laced character and blah blah blah. But like both of them play it as, almost as a parody of that. Um, so it's yeah, it's very weird. Yeah, I, I think I think Rugger Hauer knows what he's doing there, yeah. though, right? Like yeah. he is like. I, I can't get over how sorry if you hear a little bit of noise. That's because I have a, a partner in crime tonight. Uh, the, the little mini monsters floating around the studio. Um, so I think he knows what he's doing because in the first two minutes of this movie, right? Like he's walking around, he's lighting a cigar with a blowtorch. He shows his badge to a, a dog. Yeah, and calls the dog a dickhead. Right. Yeah. He's like, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a, I'm the police <laughs> dickhead, and it, and it appears as if the dog understands. Yep, you <laughs> so, know. yeah, and if you, uh, I'm gonna link to just a fantastic Diabolique magazine article that goes into the nitty gritty of this particular, um, th- this particular movie about like the twelve different iterations that it had, right? <laughs> it really wasn't supposed to be uh in the future right uh it was supposed to rely much more on the buddy cop kind of mentality um but the movie that got in its way was this lou diamond phillips like detective procedural uh and i didn't write down the name of it but it's called like the last right or the last sign or the something last like that. uh the first power first power there we go yeah. Uh, which beat it to kind of the theaters, and they were like, "Well, shit, what do we do now?" Right, and it's also like a Satanism police procedural. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yep. they were like, "I know, let's put it in the future." And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I mean, they were able to to craft something, and then they yeah. went through like three or four different script revisions. And um, as I understand it from that um, Diabolique article, like they were writing pages of the script, like the day before they actually happened, you know, like right. they, they, they were, um, that seems it, legit. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and they weren't necessarily, um, working with a ton of money or a ton of time. And that helps give this whole film a really disjointed vibe that yeah. I, I think if you like it, then it, then it goes well, right. It helps prove its point. If you don't, you're like, God, this is a fucking mess, you know? And, cool. uh, I see both sides of that. I mean, it is absolutely a mess. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, I love it. But yeah, it's definitely a mess. And like, I love. That's me, Nana. And one of the things that I love about it is, is kind of serviced by that in some ways, which is that like, Rutger Hauer is again playing like the, the, you know, classic Maverick cop character from this kind of era. Um, and like most of those classic Maverick Cop characters, like he's got this like psychological file, right, of how messed up he's supposed to be. But unlike pretty much all the rest of them, he actually seems like he does have a problem. Like he seems like he's actually got an anxiety disorder. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he has a panic attack at one point. Like as someone who has panic attacks, that's a hundred percent what a panic attack is like. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and uh, like this is kind of a, a tangent, but I think we um, so I have clinical anxiety, too. Right. And it's a it's a relatively new phenomenon since uh, the kids have been born. And, you know, I don't know, adult stress catches up with you <laughs> or whatever. Right. 
And I, I thought this movie handled that with none of the satire that the rest of the film kind of leans into, which right. I could appreciate it. And the panic attack that he goes through in this film reminded me very much of something completely and totally opposite, which is a fantastic show on Apple TV called Ted Lasso, which uh, won a bunch of Emmys. And um, it's got Jason Sudeikis, who's you know from Kansas City, who's a good dude. But he has a panic attack halfway through. And it, like... It, it almost like evoked some sort of response out of me, you know, I'm like, Jesus Christ. And, and the same for this thing for as silly and as campy as moments of this film are to have something real like that. It's like, Oh, okay. Somebody writing, directing, producing had to have had something similar to that yeah. to, or maybe Rugger Hauer himself. Who knows? Yeah. Like he seems like he genuinely has an anxiety disorder and both characters in their kind of over the top in some ways reaction to the monster feels a lot of ways like a more realistic reaction to a monster than most movies give you where like it essentially rewrites their personalities to some extent they're like you know um they're just like holy crap i've seen a monster and now i believe completely different things because that was definitely a monster and i didn't believe in those before but now i suddenly do so let me lean into that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I appreciated all of that. And I, and I think that all is, that all only benefits from the fact that uh, you also have this relationship between the two detectives that is charming and doesn't ever feel mean spirited. Right? right. So uh, I'm talking the relationship between Harley Stone, who's played by Rugger Hauer and detective Dick Durkin, um, who uh, is played by Alistair Duncan, who's a, you know, relatively famous uh, character actor as well. Like they are sweet and they are, and, and like even Rucker Howard, when he's, you know, playing up the asshole mentality, like, it's it's got a like a big brother kind of feel uh-huh. to it or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I I could just watch the two of them banter for ninety minutes and it would be plenty fun. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, there's there's like a there's not the like one of them is right and one of them is wrong that you normally get in this kind of movie. There's there's very much kind of a both of them are a little bit wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and combined, they're mostly right, but also still right. kind of wrong, you know? Yeah. And, uh, like, as bumbling and as silly as, uh, you know, Durkin is, I think the he's good-natured uh, and, like, enough of, um, you, you know, enough of Rugger Howard's character is rubbed off on him by the end, right? Like, he, he's like we need bigger guns or something like that. That is, is just kind of out of character for him, but it's like, Oh, this shit's kind of rubbing off. Okay. I get it. Well, and like, so one of the things I loved about the way they portrayed him is that. So most of the time, right. You've got this, you've got, again, you've got this maverick cop who is right about everything, even though he's, you know, doesn't play to the rules and he's all this stuff. And then you've got this real straight laced guy who's supposed to be the top of his class and all this stuff who is wrong about everything. Right. Except in this case, like Rutger Hauer is right about the thing they're dealing with because he's dealt with it before. The other guy is basically a polymath. Like he, he learns like six books of Satanism in a night. Yeah. 
he reads them all like in one night while he's sitting on his car or something. And then he like knows it all. He's rattling it all off later from memory. Like the dude is a legit genius in this yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's why it kind of, to me felt like, uh, like it, it felt a bit like a movie that was made only about the peripheral characters in a Buffy, the vampire slayer like film, right? Like, yeah. It would be like a Buffy movie without Buffy, right? Because, right. like, you have Rugger Hauer as your typical, like, muscle, like, warrior character. You got this guy who's the genius, you know? And mm-hmm. um, uh, Kim Cattrall, who we can talk about in just a moment, uh, in some ways uh, acts as the kind of sweet ingenue or, or whatever. Right. But, uh, you know, that that part of the film, I felt, I you know, like, playing up the buddy angle of the buddy cop stuff. I was like, oh, okay, all right. Yeah. I'm I'm down for this. So let's talk a little Kim Cattrall, all right? Shall we? Yeah. No, no movie of, in the early 1990s uh, would be complete without a shower scene, and Kim Cattrall uh, has her own. And yeah. uh, I am 100% certain that was a compelling reason for 12 year old me to watch this film. <laughs> you know, I didn't. But trust me, if you would have told me it had a shower scene, I would have been like, okay, I guess I'll stay you know, awake late and watch it on HBO or whatever. So, but go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead. I was just going to say, the relationship between her and Rugger Hauer is weird and strange, but also a hundred percent believable. And they are sweet together. Yeah. They're great. Like she is, she has very little to do in this movie, but she makes enormously the most of everything she does have to do. Like, yeah. She's she's very like charming and funny for the brief time she's on screen. She's not she's not just the character to get put into distress, even though that is what happens yep. to her. Like she she brings breathes a lot of personality into the like ten minutes she gets. Yeah, yeah. She probably doesn't have a, a ton of lines, but like yeah. that 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 shower scene that we were talking about, like it it leads to a confrontation, but that confrontation doesn't happen because she was attacked in the shower. Like right. he draws back the curtain and she's like, what the fuck, man? I'm right. just trying to take a shower. And, yeah. and I, I love that. Right. Cause it yeah. inverts that trope and it allows that kind of sardonic nature of her to kind of bleed through. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I found his treatment of her to be sweet and honest. And they are both very wounded, very kind of screwed up people that cling to each other. And that feels kind of real, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's the characterization. And I think it entirely lays on the, on the actors because there's not a ton in the script to support this. The (laughs) the characterization of the characters is all really good. And I think that's all, I think that's all on the actors. And I think that might also all benefit from them rewriting the script on the fly. Like they must've done. Because mm-hmm. it gave the actors kind of wiggle room to do whatever felt right at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, they, they had a lot of freedom, right? Yeah. And uh, uh, the one thing that would have ruined all of that, right? Because Kim Cattrall is great, um, I, 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 but she's not in it a ton. So her influence is subtle at best, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that really the bulk of selling this movie comes to to Rugger Hauer. And if he is not 
if he's not ready, right? And if he's not 100% sold in the choices that he's going to make, I don't think this movie is nearly as fun as it is. But he's super game to be very big here. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I, I, I absolutely love the performance. And it, you know, it, it makes it a lot of fun to watch, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and as much as we've harped on like the characterizations of yeah, you're right. This is like the most '90s movie. Like, there's a a Gatling shotgun before all things are done. Like, it's it's very '90s. It's it's very much that. that it era. is a, it it is a Gatling shotgun that shoots like one shot every forty five seconds. It's like this is the most pointless gun. I am <laughs> relatively certain. Like somebody gifted enough can reload the gun faster than the Gatling can shift over, you know, like the, the rotating mechanism can. Yeah. yeah. It's like, Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, it, it told me that the budget, the prop budget was spent on the, uh, the gun, maybe not necessarily the firing or trigger mechanism, yeah. but whatever. Um, but yeah. And I, the monster also, which we haven't talked about yet is, is another thing that, is both harmed and benefits by the by the script getting so revised like because the, the the thing i love about the monster is that they don't ever give it any kind of coherent explanation none like they hypothesize that maybe it's satan by the end and like they know that it absorbs the dna of the people it kills but that's it that's all you yeah. get it's yeah. just this it's just this 10 foot tall thing that's clearly just a xenomorph um, from Alien, like it's a hundred percent just that they they you know it's a dude, but it's got like a visor, like it's wearing like a motorcycle helmet. Yeah, visor yeah. for some reason. Um, but other than that, it's basically just the thing from Alien, only ten feet tall. Um, yeah, I, I I wish I was better versed in comics, but uh, you get a lot of comparisons. There's this great comparison um, in this Den of Geek article that I will link to. That uh, the 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 title of the piece is the unofficial venom movie you probably didn't <laughs> even know about and yeah like it, yeah. it looks like venom and yeah. i like that wasn't necessarily my bag but if you look at those photos next to each other it's like if shit, venom were skinny and wore a motorcycle helmet yeah 100%. so um the diabolique article i mentioned earlier has this great quote about the monster and how uh <laughs> how it, it is kind of messed up. All right. Uh, the quote I dragged out was the creature is eating the hearts out of its victims to gain their souls, but somehow also absorbing their DNA. It's focusing on people with the star sign Scorpio because it's also the water sign, which has something to do with the rising river by making stone who has been left with a psychic link to the creature. It's final victim as his partner was the first, it will complete a circle of power that makes it invulnerable or something. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, I was like, what? Uh, okay. Uh, and something I love so much, like we have all this, we have all this. We've just talked about, right? Like it's a huge monster. It's this 10 foot tall venom looking dipshit, right? Like it's, it's maybe Satan. It's eating people's hearts. It's clearly a monster. Like its hands are huge. It's got, giant crazy teeth, you know, it, it's definitely a monster, 100%. But it's also, like, a person, right? It uses uh -huh. a shotgun at one yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, it writes messages for the police. It mails something to Harley Stone. Like, <laughs> Can you imagine that monster showing up at the post office? I'd, it, like, a, I'd like a book of stamps, please. <laughs> like, it is... This was clearly, or could... This could very easily, 
with almost no changes to the script, have been like a Silence of the Lambs type police procedural serial killer sure. movie. Like, mm-hmm. it would have taken almost nothing to change this. Like, you've got the dude, he's using a shotgun, you've got the dude. Like, all you have to do is take out the the monster bits, right? Which is almost nothing in the movie. But no, uh uh-uh. Instead, it's just a monster that does all that shit. Yeah, right. With, with zero. I, I think there is a passing explanation from Durkin that maybe he can also uh he's a shapeshifter too maybe maybe I don't know. yeah well okay so here's the first problem i had when i saw this monster okay i was like hey wait a minute the first time we get introduced to the monster's pov is in the disco at the very beginning and he's in the middle of the fucking dance floor that was fine so- what <laughs> like like i granted it is a weird like bdsm like dance club <laughs> not n- not that people that are into that are weird you know whatever i mean it's it, this, it's a little weird yeah right it, it's this futuristic like right. you know thing right so i guess maybe if there was an 11 foot tall like oil monster floating around <laughs> the dance floor people would be like, oh, okay. yeah right 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 be like oh shit <laughs> just another night at fred's you oh, know or whatever it's here again yeah right oh right. Fuck. yeah uh, yeah no it's yeah it's it's a whole thing yeah um, it, I, think, it, I think in the so i think in the scenes in the club i think it's supposed to be behind a wall i think it's okay. supposed to be behind a wall and looking through a wall i think but it, it's not all the time like you're right at, at least at one point the pov shot is pretty clearly in the middle of the crowd but i think it's supposed to be all right all right, or or in gray retcons this puppy to make sense of uh, the big, the big oil monster. I, I okay. honestly like it better if the big oil monster is just hanging out. They're like, "What? Now this is fine. He's in here all the time. He's got like a ratty I love New York T-shirt on. Yeah, right. like he's yeah, just trying totally to blend in. Totally. Yeah, okay, I, I like it. Okay, so let's do four corners or four movies. All right, uh, okay. what what were your two here? Um, so I um, my two were sure i'm right here uh so i picked i come in peace which is basically so earlier i was going to say that if dolph lundgren had been cast instead of rutger hauer you'd have a very different movie and i oh, come yeah. in peace is essentially that movie because okay. it is it is dolph lundgren teamed with like a very straight arrow fbi agent and this buddy cop thing and they're fighting an alien drug dealer okay interesting i um, i haven't seen i come in peace so i'll have to check it out it's good it's not good the same way this one is, but it's it's good in a fun kind of 80s action, blows a lot of stuff up kind of way. Okay. Uh, it's clearly had a bigger budget than this movie did. <laughs> or or maybe just used its budget for different things. Um, and then the other movie I picked was Screamers, which is, um, I don't remember the year, but it's um, late 90s, probably. Uh, people on another planet fighting these kind of robots that are basically they, aliens. It's a movie that's basically aliens, but with robots. They, they, they pop up from the sand, right? Am I making yeah, that up? Yep. Okay. No, you're right. Um, eventually they look like people. Like the, They evolve along and eventually they just look like people, but the early ones, yeah, are these little like saw blade things that pop out of the sand. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, uh, I, I could see that. I can see the, the connections there. Very good. 
Um, so go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say one of the reasons I made that connection is that I want to talk about the the sort of lineage back and backward and forward of um, split second before we before we're done. So you want me to do it now, or you want me to do it after your two movies? Uh, I'll name my two movies, and then okay, let's talk about that yeah. lineage before uh, you know our letterbox entry. Yeah. Um. So I picked Johnny Mnemonic because uh, they have equally absurd takes on the future. Um. But I think that there is some. Um, there is like some early proto cyberpunk or steampunk oh, yeah. stuff going on in Split Second that I think plays nicely with uh, certainly the aesthetic, right? Like right. the aesthetic of both films uh, work really, really well together. And then um, the second I picked was Predator 2, which is often um, compared to this movie. I think yeah. monsters are similar. The kind of hunt um, mentality is is pretty similar. They're both but, really, really urban. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, Predator Two. Actually, I wish I had picked. Like, you beat me to it, but I wish I had thought of it because Predator Two is a really good comparison for this movie. So, yeah, yeah. And, and then on the backside, because it's one of my absolute favorite films, is uh, Mimic, just because yeah. of the ending and the subway tunnels, and yeah, you know, yeah. the creatures I think are relatively similar. But uh, yeah, man. Um, and I think that's Guillermo del Toro, right? Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. So uh, if it gives you another excuse to go check out Mimic, um, good. yeah. Watch okay, the, so watch the director's cut though. The director's cut's way better. Ooh, I don't know if I've ever seen that. I bet you own it, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. <laughs> okay, so talk to me about the lineage of this uh, okay. monster and whatnot. So the the lineage of the monster specifically is that. Um, so it was designed by Stephen Norrington. Uh, and Stephen Norrington is probably better known as the guy who directed Blade. Ooh, okay. And also League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which put him in director jail, deservedly so. Um, <laughs> I like. I I kind of like that film. I don't sure. think it's good, but it's you know it's <laughs> enjoyable at least. But yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Norrington had also worked on the special effects team on Aliens and and then Alien Three this same year. Um, so, like, you can definitely see, like, this is definitely a guy who's designed Xenomorphs before. Like, the monster in this pretty clearly looks like a Xenomorph. Yeah. Um, so that there's that. It was directed by, and I'm going to have to check his name. Um, it was directed by Tony Malam, okay. who is the guy who made The Burning from 1981, which is one of the kind of cult classic slasher films from the early slasher boom. But one of the ones that didn't get a franchise. So okay. That, you know, um, so that's interesting. And then it was written by uh, Gary Scott Thomas, who is the guy who wrote the remake of the Fast and the Furious, the one that spawned this whole big Fast and the Furious franchise. Yeah. So what? yeah, th- this is an early an early career uh, writing turn from that guy. Honestly, like it, it, like the Fast and the Furious films are buddy cop films only. Yeah. They they invert the trope, right? right. Uh, yeah. But like that kind of witty banter back and forth, the playful nature, the comedic element of action films. Right. Like and, and you like, can see that in both of those. Right, films. and like a genuine warmth between the characters. Yes, like, totally. The, char- the characters in the Fast and Furious seem like they really care about each other. Yeah, yeah. No, you're you're a hundred percent right, and I, yeah. I think. Um, <laughs> who knows if we would have gotten a fast and the furious. Cause like, I definitely feel like at the end of split second, they're like setting it up to do another film. Like, 
uh, like as, another as movies were contractually obligated to do back then. <laughs> right, right. Like <laughs> s- split second two. I don't. Would that make it a full second? I don't. Even, I, like even I don't... more and even more split second. <laughs> yeah, but like at one point, um, oh, Durkin says to to Rugger Howard, like, uh, you know, like we we could ride off in the sunset and do this again or you know whatever and Rucker Howard's like shut the fuck up or <laughs> you know whatever yeah but they're like oh we're setting it up but uh yeah i think it's really important to, especially that that last comparison because that warmth between all of the characters in that film uh make all of the fast and the furious films worth watching and entertaining and and also you know help elevate i think split second as well yeah. i i will admit um, at zombie camp a couple of years ago, uh, I have way too much time on my hands for that and end up watching movies. Um, that's like the time I do it. And I watched all of the fast and the furious films. Cause like all of my film nerd snobs that mm-hmm. know way more about movies and are way more discerning than I am are like, no legit. The fast and the furious films are really good. You yeah. need to watch them. And yeah. I was like, shut the fuck up. You're messing. And they were like, no, like they're legitimately good. And starting with five, especially like, yeah, they become actual good movies. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when, um, oh, the the movie where, um, in, in real life, uh, fudge, what's his name? He died in a car accident. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he died. They, you know, they played the song that they won, I think an Academy Award for, uh, like, I, cr- I like legitimately had real feelings, you know, I'm like, Oh yeah. yeah. So the, the way they sent his character off, like it was really brilliant. Like both, like it was touching and it felt earned in the movies. Yeah. And they didn't just kill him off. Like he got to live, even though the actor didn't live. Like, right. Yeah. It was really, it was actually really beautiful the way they handled that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like the Fast and Furious movies are actually legit kind of great. Yep. And yeah. everyone should go watch them. So yeah, especially five. Five's amazing. Five's yeah. the best one. But Well, I can tell you somebody who <laughs> didn't love those movies or Split Second is our wonderful anonymous letterbox user with another half star review. You want to read this one or you want me to? Um I can do it if you want. All right. Um, go for it. All right. So split second question mark. More like shit ninety minutes. <laughs> Take a dash of Blade Runner, Alien, Predator, and a Satanic Heart and Satanic Heart Theory? Is that a thing? (laughs) (laughs) Blend it all together with a camera and lighting crew who are boring as fuck, a script written on loose toilet paper, and a director who can't manage tension or action to save his life, and you have this boring-ass movie. Uh... Also, I think... the, the lighting and camera crew are actually kind of great in this. I don't know what he's talking about. Like, yeah, the the thing where like half of the movie was lit by like light reflecting off of water, so it was all shimmery. That was fantastic. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the that crew had to do a ton with very little because this right? budget was so small. Yeah. That that being said, um, yeah, like he's not wrong about the script. Like the oh, script no. itself is 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 not good. Um, no, this, and this, best case scenario, this is a movie that uh, makes strengths of its weaknesses, but yeah. it has plenty of weaknesses. <laughs> yeah, I, and I tend to agree. There's very little tension, real tension. There's you know very little yeah. of the kind of standard stuff that we expect. Yeah, I don't think that necessarily makes it a bad film. Though. Right. So, and also, movies in the '90s didn't have that. 
Yeah, right. Like, there, there weren't movies with tension, and I'm I'm exaggerating, but like that was not that was not the '90s' strong suit. <laughs> no, not by any stretch. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, is there anything left to say about Split Second? I don't know, but you are in immediate danger. Someone's about to hit you with a sword. That would be the that would be the little monster floating in here, ready to tell everybody goodnight. I couldn't see him. I just saw this sword like appear behind you. Yep. Oh, it was very good. That that's him. That's yeah. uh, that's our signal that we are close to our hour timeline. He's just supposed to come and whack me over the head with this big metal pipe. So the uh, the Unsel House knows how to do it right. <laughs> Uh, Oren, where can they tell? Where can they find more of your stuff on the internet? Uh, I am, as always, Oren Gray on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Letterboxd, all those places, as well as at OrenGray.com. Very good. Well, as long as I stay alive, uh, you can find me at Ty Unsel on Twitter. Otherwise, I'm running the day-to-day uh, operations here at Signal Horizon. Uh, if you'd like to write for us, if you'd like to ask me a question, if you'd like to inquire how my head feels after I've been struck over the head with a lead pipe, you can reach me, uh, Tyler, at SignalHorizon.com. We're always looking to pick up writers. We're always um, ready to hear your pitches that are interesting and innovative about the genre we love so much. What are we talking about next week, Oren? Next week, we're going to jump almost exactly a decade ahead, and we're going to talk about Fear.com. Yes! Oh, my gosh. It, it has probably been since I saw it in the theaters that I've seen it. So I'm very excited to uh, revisit it one last time. Yeah. One All last right. time, and then you'll die. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, it's, well, no, it's, it's a cursed thing, right? You watch it, and you die like the ring. Yeah, yeah, seven um, days or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. All right, uh, everyone, uh, make sure you check out Split Second. Make sure you check out uh, Fear.com. and I think it's on other... Tubi, so. Ooh, free stuff on Tubi, on Tubi is great. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Well, until then, class dismissed, everyone. Class dismissed.